Hey, just a couple of announcements before we get in the word today. Um, one is um, we are trying, I'm trying to talk a little shorter and keep the service a little shorter because we have kids in the service, and I'm trying my best to use a filter, right, with kids. Um, but we're continuing to reevaluate that and how to best serve our, our kids here, just in light of corona and all that stuff going on as well. Um, just so you know, we're, we're continuing to pray about that and talk about that as well, and we'll keep you posted. But for now, the kids are still in the service, and we try to be mindful of that as much as we, much as we can. The other one is, here, Moran, we always try to try to shoot as straight as we can. We try not to dance around things. Um, as uncomfortable as they are a lot of times, we, we just want to, we want to be transparent and shoot straight. And so, um, there, it, it's, I want to just address the elephant in the room, if I can do that. I guess, I don't know, I'm not that I'm asking for permission. There's the elephant, it's right, you know, I see. Um, as was mentioned a couple weeks ago, we had uh, some folks from here left to start another church in Zealand, and um, some of you have called it, you know, some of you referred to it as a church plant, some of you referred to it as a church separation, some of you just people left, some of you referred to it as a church split, some of you referred to it even in terms of like divorce, and I don't, I don't know what, what it's called, it doesn't really matter to be honest, but I, I think the thing is it captures our heart of like, um, it's hard because these are people we love and the people that love us, and they're not here anymore. And so I don't, I don't really care what you call it other than it's family that no longer is with us every Sunday, but they're still family, and they still are meeting across town. And so, you know, it's been a good thing for us. It's, something, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us in the midst of you know, some hurt involved just to really for us to evaluate and to look at, hey, where, where are things that we could have done different? Where could we, where do we need to own some stuff, and how do we take steps towards each other? And that's been the cool thing. It's been some active steps trying to take steps towards each other. I, I guess what I would say to you is, um, if you have specific questions, that's the rule it always is. If you have specific questions, just ask, okay? Um, it's easy to try to fill in the blanks and stuff. Just, just ask. It's cool, all right? So I'll leave it at that. Um, we love them, we bless them, we want God's best for them, and I know they want that for us too. They said so, so praise God for that. Um, okay, well, I want to pray, and we're going to get in the Word. Yes, I'm going to pray. All right, God, we do give you this time. We just say thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, your kindness, your compassion. I can only imagine the variety of different um, ways that we've seen you move this past week. Whether we were looking for you or not, we know that you showed up uh, in good stuff, in tough stuff, in the mundane, uh, in the sorrow, in the joy. You've been there. You've been in the midst of all of that. You're so good to us. You're so kind. So thank you, God, for showing up um, and providing for what we need. And God, we, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together. And we do thank you for these brothers and sisters that are in this room and the brothers and sisters that are gathering in different places throughout uh, our city, God, in West Michigan. God, that we are unified in Christ and we want to see your kingdom come more fully on this earth, God. We want to see you receive the glory and the honor and praise that you're due, uh, God, because you're worthy. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy. And we know that one day... When you return, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we want to start that today. We don't want to just wait, wait till you return and then do that. Like, we want to willingly do that in our, with our mouths, yep, but also with our heart. That the knee of our heart, the knee of our lives would be more surrendered to you today, King Jesus. Because you're the king, you're the boss, you're the one in control. And it's a joy and it's an honor to surrender and submit 
to you in all things. And uh, we trust, God, that you're going to lead us into greater, uh, greater praise and worship of you, greater uh, understanding and love for you, greater obedience to you today, King Jesus. And so I ask, God, that you would direct my words, that my words would be, um, would be direct where they're needed to be direct, but oozing in grace and oozing in love, God, that comes from, from you that your word would penetrate the depths of our heart, God, and that we would be transformed. And as Daniel said and encouraged us into, that we would grow in Christ's likeness today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, all right. I'm trusting the Lord with this this morning. The Lord's put some things in my heart. Um, and it's one of those things that could go like 50 different places, and I pray that it doesn't feel too ADHD for you but that uh, the Lord makes clear what it is that he has for us. Um, yeah, let's start there. Let's start at Matthew 16, starting verse 13. Um, just some encouragement that's been in my heart for us as we kind of jump into the new year. January tends to be about that, right? Like a starting of a, a new season, a new year, and... Um, I think the Lord wants to recenter re us and encourage us on a few things as we enter into that. So I'm going to read um, 1 Matthew 16, 13 through 20. And just to give you a little context before I jump into this, it's, um, this is right before Jesus goes to Jerusalem and is crucified. He, uh, he takes his disciples to this town called Caesarea Philippi. So it's toward the end of his, his ministry, and this is where we pick up the story in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, some say, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell, or Hades, shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. All right, stop there for just a minute. Um, it's a pretty interesting place that Jesus takes his disciples here at the end, toward the end of his public ministry, right before he's about to be crucified and, and raised from the dead. He takes his disciples to this place called Caesarea Philippi, and Caesarea Philippi was like one of the, uh, it was a really dark place, let's just say that. So uh, just think for a minute, like what's one of the most evil, wicked places that celebrates sin on earth that you can think of? What was that? Las Vegas? New Orleans? All right, all right. What was it? Television. <laughs> that's, probably, that's probably something to that. Where else? All right. I think... We can think of all kinds of places, big and small, that celebrate wickedness. This is a place that was like the home to a lot of pagan worship. Uh, one of the biggest gods that was worshipped here in Caesarea Philippi was a god named Pan. It was like a half goat, half man, and therefore 
uh, people as an act of worship to the god Pan would do unspeakable things, and the children in the room, so they are unspeakable things, w- with goats to, as an act of worship. And they would sacrifice these goats. There was a lot of, just a lot of slaughter, and, and the thing about it was, is it was also the home of a, of a place that was called the Gates of Hades, or the Gates of Hell. But hell, or Hades, isn't the way you and I tend to think about it. We think about that's where the place where unrighteous people go after death. But in their mind, Hades was the place that was just the place of the dead. And so there was a, uh, a grotto, or a, what's the word, like a cave, right? There was a cave there that there was water that would flow from within the cave and flow out into the stream uh, to cities beyond that stemmed from the city of Caesarea Philippi. Well, that little cave with water coming out of it was known as the gates of Hades or the gates of hell. Because in their mind, they thought that these different gods would actually go into Hades during the winter months. I don't know, maybe it was cold, like, uh, I don't know. But either way, they, they thought that as spring came, they would come out of the gates of Hades back to where they were. So they wanted to worship them, they wanted to keep them happy, so that they'd come back to them. And provide for them, especially these fertility gods that were there. They wanted fertility for the land, fertility for their, for their women, and so they needed to keep these gods happy, sacrifice to them so that the gods would come back and provide for them for the spring crop and all that stuff, right? So there was all this stuff that would take place and all this craziness of things that they would do to try to appease the gods. But when it talks about the gates of Haiti, it was a physical thing. It was a physical place where it was the, seat, the sign of the gods that they worshipped and all the debauchery. And some would even say it was, it was crazy because some, some people think there was actually sacrifices of goats that were thrown into the river and therefore is filled with blood that would flow out from there. I mean, it was just really a grotesque thing. But it's where sin was celebrated. What was bad was, was considered good in their mind. It was just craziness, okay? And so here it was that Jesus says, sorry, this thing's pulling on me. Um, oh, I got a clip. Much better. This is the place where um, Jesus says, all right, guys, uh, you, you, Peter, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. And the question is, what is Jesus saying that the rock is in which he's going to build his church? And there's a lot of different interpretations of what this rock is. Some people think it's the rock in which this uh, fountain was out of, this spring was out of. Some people think it's on this rock I'm going to build my church, which means not in the physical location of Caesarea Philippi, but in this attitude that says as the church gets established, the body of believers is established, it's not to be a separatist group of people. It's not to be people that go hide in the corner somewhere, but people who go and confront the sin and the wickedness of the world, which contrasts the darkness with the light, which is interesting because if this was the seat where there was a river flowing from within it, a spring that flowed from within it, but it was a spring of death, a spring of blood, a spring of chaos, a spring of uh, wickedness, that is in contrast to what we're called to be as believers, as it says in like, I think it's John 7, where Jesus says, from within you, disciples, streams of living water will flow. By that, he meant the Holy Spirit. He's saying, as the church is established, we don't get to flow death from within us. We have the Holy Spirit of the living God that flows from within us, who springs forth life, who springs forth power, who springs forth righteousness and justice and goodness, that we get to be a contrast to the wickedness of the world by being bringers of life and bringers of righteousness, right? So, that's, I think, in part probably what it means. The other thing is, he's telling this to Peter. 
Peter, the name Peter means rock. He's like, all right, rock, little rock, rocky uh, on you, I'm going to build my church. Now, I'm not, this is not talking about the whole Pope thing. I'm not going to get down that side of things. But he's saying is the role of an apostle is to go establish the church. And it is a commission for Peter as well as the others to go forth and establish the church. And that's what Peter does. He's one of the first people to preach the gospel at Pentecost. He is the first one to preach the gospel at Pentecost and one of the first ones to help establish the church. So he's saying, specifically, you do this. But I think the third one that you see throughout Scripture is on the rock, maybe Jesus here is pointing to himself, that on this rock, I will build my church. Because Jesus, throughout Scripture, is referred to you know, as, as he's the rock. He's the foundation that the church is built on. And so Jesus is making this pretty, pretty strong claim. And in the midst of this craziness, in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this sin, in the midst of the wickedness, in the midst of the, this bonkers stuff, my church will be built and my church will stand, and this wickedness will not prevail against it. That's quite a promise. Sometimes I think we forget that promise. Because I think sometimes, if you're like me, I sometimes get nervous that the church is going to collapse or fold at times. I'm not talking about, well, I think sometimes we look at that and we mistake in the fact that the church is not a place, the church is not an institution, the church is the people of God. So there may be times where buildings close and organizations collapse, but the true people that are true people of God that are rooted in Christ and the things that are built on him, they will stand no matter what. But what ends up happening is, I think we get so worked up and so worried that this, the wickedness of our culture is going to overtake the church and the church is not going to be able to stand against it. That would be untrue. I'm going to, okay, I'm going to get a little, oh, no, no. I'm going to talk a little bit about politics today, but I'm not trying to get political. Is that okay? No. So you want me to get political. Is that what you're saying? Right? Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to offend people, but I, I'm just trying to, sh- right, trying to shoot straight. Okay. I think sometimes we have um, tied too closely our hope for the church in politics. So we get so worried about whether our political candidate gets into office or not determines if the church is going to thrive or not. And it gets to the point of saying, well, but what happens if the church is going to lose its freedom of speech? The church is going to lose its freedom of religion. And I'm not saying those are bad things. Those are great freedoms. I love them. Fantastic. However, even if our freedom of speech is taken away, and even if our freedom of religion is taken away, the church will still stand. Uh-huh. It may be that the 501c3 gets taken away, maybe a building gets taken away, but the church will still stand because what we see throughout the world is there's no freedom of speech in a lot of parts of the world. There's no freedom of religion, and the church thrives because the church is the people of God built on the truth of who Jesus is, and, and the church is people that are in submission to King Jesus. And so I think what ends up happening is we, we put our hope in the wrong place. Like if we just get our right people in office, then the church will thrive. But sorry, sometimes I'm listening to the Spirit. Sometimes I'm just listening to my own internal dialogue. I'm just listening to my own internal dialogue. I don't want to say something to offend you needlessly, but um, sometimes we're so afraid of the church being collapsed, that we are worried about, um, 
we falsely believe that what's going to fix the church is the right people being elected into office. I know some of you are thrilled at the election. I know some of you are devastated at the election. And I will remind you that who we elect into office is simply a reflection of our culture. And I believe that the way that we grow in holiness and righteousness and Christ-likeness in the church is not by who gets elected into a particular office, but by individuals that are submitted to the lordship of King Jesus and as a group of people growing in Christ-likeness. And then I believe the, the land will follow the, the individual hearts that are surrendered to King Jesus. And I'm not saying elections aren't important. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm saying don't be passionate about those things. But let me remind you, our hope is not in who gets elected. Our hope is in Christ Jesus. So I know, like, some of you are just devastated after the events of this past week. And it's like, oh, how is this going to happen in this past couple months? And, and I'm not saying they're not important. I'm not saying they're not important. But I will tell you this. The church will stand no matter who's in office. God's promise to us, Jesus promises that the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not prevail against it. I think one of the things that um, is being shaken up, I, I do think that this COVID has been a time of shaking for us. I think COVID has been a time of revealing for us. I think some of the things even within the church have been shaken, and I don't think that's a bad thing all the time. Like, I think sometimes we've, We've added to the essence of the church, and we've, we've set up systems that make it dependent upon things that aren't, the Bible doesn't say they're dependent upon. Like, I think one of the things we get so worried about is, um, oh gosh, will you guys show me grace? Okay, okay. I, here, here's, here's, I mean, okay, here's, here's the thing. So, so often, I just assume you know I love you, right? So sometimes I just shoot straight. But in this culture over the past year since COVID, it's like you say one thing and 80% of the people are ticked over here. You say something here, 90% of the ticked. You say this, they interpret everything you say. And so it's like, I, I, I think I've erred sometimes too much on the other side of like having to be so cautious in my words just because I want you to know how much I love you and I don't want things to be taken out of, out of context. But... I do love you, okay? Um, now i got to remember what I was going to say. <laughs> Lord Jesus, maybe you didn't want me to say it. Jesus, if you want me to say it, bring it to mind. If not, we'll, we'll move on to something else. Okay. I know sometimes there's this worry of like, well, Moran Park's really shrunk. Our giving's way down. What if Moran Park ceases to exist? Maybe you don't think that. Um, I think this season of COVID has been a season of shaking for the church in America, but I also think it's been a shifting, or it's a, it's been a season of revealing and a season of uh, sifting for Moran as well. I think the Lord has used this to show us things that we've added on and maybe think areas that we've thought ourselves more highly than we ought. I think the Lord is calling us to get back to the basics and the simplicity of what it means to be the church, that while a building is a great gift, staff is a great gift, programs are a great gift, finances are a great gift, if we have a church that's dependent upon those things to survive, we got a problem. That while those things can be good or bad, they're, not, they're neutral. They're just neutral, right? It's not, they're not good or bad. They're, they're fine. But if, 
if we have a system in place where those are necessary for us to be believers together, we've got a problem. I think the Lord's calling us to get back to the simplicity of what it means to be the, go- to the gospel and the simplicity of what it means to be the church together. And that's why we're continuing, like, how do we how to use this space with those of you that are here? And I'm like, I'm so pumped you're here, and I love getting together with you. But part of us gathering together on these Sunday mornings in these bigger gatherings is say, how do we continue to equip you to do the work of ministry so that if things get harder and things get more difficult, you know what to do? You know, it's interesting. In, um, something dawned on me a couple weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, is that uh, Acts chapter 2, the believers are gathering together, right? The church is planted together, gather together, temple courts. They're devoting themselves to prayer, to, to fellowship, to the word, to all this stuff. They're devoting themselves. But all of a sudden, that, that, that doesn't last very long because by Acts chapter 8, what ends up happening is persecution breaks out. And it says the apostles stay in Jerusalem. The leaders stay in Jerusalem. And as people are scattered, all the believers are scattered. But it says as they went, they preached the gospel. And you get this image that while the leaders stay back, think it hard, it's persecution, they're being pressed down, and people are scattered all over, but it's as they're scattered that people know what to do, how to do it, and where to do it. They know how to share the gospel, they know how to gather people together, they know how to make disciples. And it dawned on me, what if that would have been our realization and reality when COVID hit? But that wasn't for a lot of us, I struggled, we all struggled, right, in a lot of ways. I think the Lord is calling us to say, waking up and say, how do we use these times together to empower you and equip you that if all else gets taken away, that you know how to be the church on your own, you know how to make disciples, you're going to see the kingdom expand, even when no one else is there with you to tell you how to do it, where to do it, and, how to, and when to do it. Make sense? Sorry, that's a tangent. A good one, but it was a tangent, right? Huh? I just, I just keep hearing these rumblings of like, oh, the church is collapsing. People aren't coming back to the church. And that's nationwide. People aren't coming back to the church. But I believe more than ever, the Lord is sifting us and refining us so we get back to the core of what it means to follow him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think one of the things that we got to be careful of is assuming how the Lord's going to do that. I think sometimes we assume how God's going to go about this in a way that we're comfortable with and the way that we understand. I mean, Peter did. That's what he says in this next section. Right after this, right, Peter's like, he's like, on you, Peter, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. It's going to be awesome. And then I think Peter thinks he's being tested, and he probably thinks, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm giving the right answer here. Jump down to verse 21. It says, from, this, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. All right, pause for a minute. I think we look at this and be like, Ah, how could Peter say that? Right? How did he not know? You wouldn't have known either. Come on, right? He just got done telling them, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And then Jesus says, well, I'm going to die and be raised. You're not going to die. Come on. <laughs> he thinks he understands what Jesus is about. He's like, I'm with you, Jesus. You tested me. I got you. Right answer. Not going to happen. And Jesus goes, oh, no, 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 no. It's pretty harsh with them, actually. Firm. Verse 23. But he, meaning Jesus, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Okay, get behind me, Satan. You are a 
to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And I think for me, this has been one of the most um, humbling things for me as of late. And the one thing, I'm just trying to walk in great caution in that sometimes when things happen, I wonder, I assume I know the answer. I assume I know what side I'm on, if I'm on God's side or not. And I think God is often calling us to be cautious and be humble to say, sometimes things are happening that we're saying, that's the enemy, that's Satan. But sometimes that actually might be the Lord disciplining us and growing us to greater maturity. Now, don't get me wrong. The enemy's active. The enemy is totally active, causing division and distraction and lies and death. The, the enemy is totally active. But sometimes when bad stuff kind of is creeping up or we're being pressed down, we're going through trials, it's like, get behind me, Satan. Satan's behind this. But sometimes it's actually the Lord that's working in the midst of us to grow us in a greater maturity, to point out things that need to go. And, and I think if, if we understood sometimes, that's where it takes, it takes, it takes uh, discernment. I think in those times, it's just asking the Lord, oh God, I need discernment to know, is this, from, is this you in the working here, or is this of the enemy? Or a little combination, where do I fight? Where don't I fight? Where do I embrace what you're doing? Where do I fight the enemy? It just takes discernment, asking the Lord. It's also knowing the word to know, wh what does the word say about what God is up to here, so we can know that we're standing uh, on the truth. Because sometimes in the midst of trial, actually oftentimes in the midst of trial, God is doing what he's ultimately after in all of us, which is growing us in Christ-likeness. And sometimes I think when trial comes, we're finding ourselves fighting against God rather than embracing what he's trying to do within us. This is James 1, right? Consider pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of any kind, because he goes on to say that those trials produce endurance and steadfastness and maturity. That's what God wants is greater maturity within us. And sometimes it's those trials that grow us into greater maturity to show what needs to change, show that what needs to be refined, show what there needs to be greater uh, re repentance of things and grow in greater, greater depth of things as well. And so I think, I think this is where things get a little sideways for us at times. Where he says the reason why we find ourselves as a hindrance to Jesus rather than with him is because he says you're, setting, you're not setting your mind on things of God but on the things of man. And I think so often we think we're doing the right things but we're actually responding or operating in the way that the world tells us to do so rather than the way Jesus tells us to do so. So let's get frank. You probably heard there was, a, a, I don't know what to call it, a, a, an event, a demonstration or whatever on, on the Capitol, at the Capitol on Wednesday, right? You hear about this? Okay, just making sure. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really watch the news, so someone will ask me that like three weeks later. Like, I, I didn't, no, I don't know. Um, and, and I think what ends up happening is... Um, like, I, I get that. We've seen that over the past number of, of, of years, even when, when, there's, when people don't feel heard, when people feel like, oh, you're not listening, I don't feel like I have another option, it, it tends to erupt in, in sometimes, not, not just protests, but sometimes it erupts in violence. And um, sometimes I think even as Christians, we are mistaken to think that we're not being heard, we're not being listened to, and so we need to get attention by resor resorting to violence. And I'll tell you what, that is the way of the world, that is not the way of the cross. We may think we're on God's side, we're going to make people pay, and we're going to tell them who's boss, and I will tell you, violence is not the way of Jesus, but peace is the way of Jesus. I'm not trying to make a political statement. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. 
Because our politics are found not in a political party or what the world says is right. Our politics are found in the kingdom of God, our true king that we surrender to, and we operate according to his ways. We may have the best intention to be zealous, but if we find ourselves operating the way of the world rather than the way of God, we actually find ourselves against him rather than for him. Here's another one. One of the things I've seen a lot of over the past, um, well, since COVID, 10 years is what it feels like, right? It was a joke. You can laugh. It feels like that, though, a lot of days. I think sometimes we're so afraid of the culture encroaching on the church that we, we say we got to stand up for truth, right? We got to stand up for truth so people know it's true. And I'm all about standing for truth, but just make sure it's God's truth and not your truth. Make sure you're not adding to the Bible, or make sure that you're not picking and choosing which truth you're going to stand for. I'm all for standing for truth, but sometimes we love to stand for truth, but we forgot one of the most predominant things that the Bible talks about is our love for one another. If I had to summarize one thing, the major thing that I think the Lord is showing Moran Park over these past number of months is we got a love problem. That's hard to admit. It's hard to admit a place that you've invested 11 years of your life into that you got a love problem at the, at the most, found, it's one of the most foundational things is our love for the Lord and our love for one another. But I realized in myself how easy it is to love you when you love me back. It's tough to love you when you don't love me back. I realized how easy it is to love people that think like me. It's more difficult to love those that disagree. And I think the Lord is calling his church to another level of love. Not loving in the superficial, like, yeah, I love you, man, love you, Bill, you're awesome, right? Love you, you're great. Like, he's calling us to true love that's defined by the, the Bible. And the Bible defines love as the greater degree in which you love someone is the greater degree in which you're willing to lay, lay your life down for them. The more that something is worth, the more that you're willing to pay for it. And I've just realized in myself, I've had such a shallow definition of love. I'm not calling anyone specific out. This applies to all of us. So don't go. You're, you're calling me out specifically. No, that's the Holy Spirit. That's not me. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> sorry. Just, I can't. Um, <laughs> What I've seen happen during COVID is when something doesn't go the way we want, we go find people that think like us and just function as a church together with people like us. I hate masks, the whole mask thing, more than probably anybody. The stupid piece of cloth has been more divisive in the church than anything I can think of. But 
but I think masks are an incredible opportunity to not just say, well, this is what I think about it. I'm going to find people like me just to stay with people like me to reaffirm my beliefs, my idea, my idea of truth. But instead, I think masks are an opportunity for us to grow in love for one another, which is, hey, I don't understand where you're coming from. Help me understand. Or, hey, I don't see it that way, but I can understand where you're coming from. No, you're not a moron. It's just different than me. No, I don't think you're just walking in needless fear. Or, hey, I don't, I don't see it that way, but, hey, this is an opportunity for me to come your way. I hate wearing a mask, but I'm going to wear one because it's a way for me to be around you and to show my love and appreciation for you. Or it's like, you know what, I, I'm uncomfortable with you not wearing a mask, but, like, I know this is a conviction for you, so, like, I'm going to still have a relationship with you and be in contact with you, even though you're not, you're not wearing one because it's a way for us to show love towards one another. See, I think one of my biggest fears is is that what ends up happening in the church is we just, we just continue to go down to smaller and smaller and smaller groups of people that think like us and act like us and view the world just like us, which is easy, but it doesn't give us an opportunity to grow in Christ-like, Christ-like love, right? And some of you view things way different than me. But what an opportunity for us to grow together and what it means to lay down our lives for each other. And it says in Philippians chapter 2, to not look into our own interests, but to the interests of others, right? I, I think those are the things that the Lord is getting us back to. I think he's causing some of the systems of man and some of the things we've held tightly to as a church, I think he's causing those things to crumble. And, and, and I think I, I'm just being very cautious. Is I don't want to rebuild the things at Moran Park that the Lord is tearing down. But I also want to be about building the things that the Lord is building. I think one of the primary things that the Lord is building at Moran Park is a radical, selfless love. And not one that's easy to say, like, oh, yes, we love each other, which I do. I love you. But do I really love you? Some days, right? Most days. So I think that's my encouragement for us this morning. It's like the Lord is doing it. This has been a hard season. It continues to be a hard season. Things are changing. Things are, things, some things are crumbling. Some things are falling. But when I understand that the Lord is refining his church, I think it gives us an opportunity to not fight against the Lord, but to embrace what he's doing and say, have your way. Do whatever you want. Something's off, do it. I'm going to put it all down on the altar, God, and you, you determine what stays and you determine what goes. It's all yours. I want whatever you want because I want maturity and I want to be a part of the bride of Christ that is pure, that's holy, that's set apart, that's ready for your return. And he's doing it. I've seen it in you guys have grown in love for each other. You guys have grown in service for each other. You guys have grown in humility. You guys have grown in gratitude. You guys have grown in thank thankfulness and thanksgiving. You guys have grown in patience. You guys have grown in endurance or long-suffering. You guys have grown like crazy. But I don't know that those things would have happened in us had we not gone through the difficulty that we've been going through. So I want the difficulty to be over a lot of days, but I also want to say, Lord, have your way in the midst of it. Because... The kingdom, or the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, the wickedness around us will not prevail against us. And in fact, not has it only not prevailed in these past 10 months, but I've seen the church grow and expand in greater love for God, greater love for one another, and greater Christ-likeness. Praise the Lord. So don't grow weary, Marianne Park. Don't grow weary. Don't grow discouraged. Don't grow hard-hearted. Some days, I know it's like, I just want to stay in bed. No! God is calling us forth to be light in the darkness.
streams of living water would flow from within us and we would see the world know who this Jesus is. All right, let's pray and let's keep worshiping because I'm ready to worship. Jesus, we do thank you that you are, you're the one building your church. Yep, you're, you're tweaking things, you're changing things, you're refining things, you're, you're growing things, you're, you're taking down things we depended on that aren't from you, you're, you're, you're all that. It's great, but at the end of the day, we know your church will prevail. And we thank you, God, that you're strengthening us. We thank you that you're encouraging us. We thank you that you're building us up, God. We thank you that we're thanking for the things that you're doing. And God, we thank you for giving us the grace and endurance to stay in this awkward place, the grace and endurance to stand in the tension, the grace and endurance and long-suffering to, to be pressed down, God, as we're growing in Christ's likeness. God, I thank you for your faithfulness to Moran Park, God. I thank you for your faithfulness that you are growing us in greater Christ's likeness. And when we screw up some days and get it like way wrong, you're so compassionate, you're so gracious, you're so kind. When we fall off the wagon, you wait for us, you come back and get us and bloop, plop us back on. When we get ahead of us, you don't run us over, you graciously bring us back. That's what we want, God. We want whatever you want. Whatever you want for your church, God, that's what we want. Not our will, but yours be done. And we know your will. We know your will for your church. Be greater maturities. we grow up into the headship of Jesus. So we thank you that it's not us that's building your church. As your word says here, I will build my church. That's you. Jesus, you are building your church, God. You just ask us to have willing hearts to partner with you, willing hearts to, to let that, you do that work within us. And so, God, would you give us the grace to even have a heart of surrender to you? Would you give us the grace even today to, to, to surrender and submit all things in all areas of our heart to you, God? Because you are worthy of it, and you want what's best for us, and you want what's going to bring you the most glory and the honor. And that's what we want. That's what we want. So thank you, God, for your patience with us. Thanks for your faithfulness, God. Oh, it's so awesome. I just, I think about that. Wow. Those times, God, even recently, when we've not been faithful, you have been. When we have not been steadfast, you have been. When we've not been kind, when we've not been loving, when we've not been patient, you have been. Oh, God, thank you for that. And I thank you that that is what you're manifesting in us. That's what you're growing in us. That's what you're maturing in us. We thank you for that. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.